Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. We're having a great time at Planet Philanthropy 2022. So many amazing people here. So many interesting things to learn. And that is exactly what this next segment is all about. My guest is going to blow your mind. So be prepared. Tim Sarantonio is our guest. He's from Neon One. And they have just finished. And I'm going to pick it up. I know this is, this is audio and you can't see this. But I'm picking up this amazing report. Donors understanding the future of individual giving, which is, I got to tell you, just paging through it. It's been amazing. Paging 87 pages. Yes. 87 pages. Tim, welcome to Impactability. Well, thank you for having me. We started talking here at the conference. I saw the report, started paging through and said, I got to have you on our podcast because this is really (laughs) good. Thank you. So you did an amazing job on this report. Give us like the genesis, the background, what brought this on? Why did you decide to undertake this massive project, et cetera? Like every good story, you have a villain, right? Mm -hmm. And the villain here is time. I was at the Giving Institute Summer Symposium last July, July 2021. And that is who puts out Giving USA, Mm -hmm. arguably one of the most important reports that we see in our sector. And this is gathering dozens of some of the smartest consultants, tech people in the space. And somebody stood up at the very end of these these days and said, wow, I have so many reports that I have to read now. I don't know if I'll have enough time. And I said, wait a minute. If some of the smartest people in our sector can't figure it out, then what is the average fundraiser struggling going to be able to do. We need actionable, easy data because everything I also saw, Joe, was from 2019, 2016. Everything that we're citing was before the pandemic. So I got really scared that a bunch of digital firms were also going to drive people like a Pied Piper toward the wrong type of fundraising. So I said, let's read everything. So I read 500 different resources, podcasts, reports. I downloaded academic papers everything that I can get my hands on. And I centralized it down to this one resource, 50 plus citations, academic, APA style. Right. And the thing is, is that when people hear about data, they hear data, they get scared, right? Absolutely. They get really worried that that they're not going to get it. Well, not only that, but tell tell me the good news, don't give me the bad news. Exactly. And what I want to do is confront the reality. So I cite if it's a good report and it's technically a competitor, I don't care. Right. You know, there's some great research that Bloomerang did on the value of phone calls. Great, let's talk about it. Blackboard had generational giving. They have a data panel going back a decade. Cite it. It doesn't matter. If it's gonna help people, let's do it. One report to rule them all for the Lord of Ring fans out there. So I wanted to create one report to rule them all and answer one very simple but important question. What does individual giving look like since March 2020? Mm -hmm. And the way we answered it is looked at it in six different perspectives. I have young children. 
So there's the show Busy Town Mysteries, <laughs> and and they have a song Who, What, When, Where, Why, right. How, right? And so I was, that was actually in the back of my head. We answered Who, What, When, Where, Why, How do donors give? And each chapter is a different perspective on that central identity right. of who donors are. And we're going to tell everyone later as to how they can get their eyes on this, but let's let's get into it. So first question. Who are our donors? So one of our partners is Visa, and we relied on external data sets for a few key areas. And so they have a general demographic profile when it comes to transactional information. Maybe some gender, maybe some generational information. That's the biggest contribution they were able to give. But the reality, everyone is a donor. If you looked at the University of Michigan data, for instance, it looks at a lot of different stuff. And generally, they found that the average American, regardless of their income, they're still contributing between 1.9 to 2.11% of their income to charitable causes, formal 501c3s. This doesn't even open up the world of mutual aid societies or people Venmoing their friends mm -hmm. who are having a mm -hmm. tough time, mm -hmm. GoFundMes. So that's an important point for later in terms of why nonprofits need to pay attention to this in particular. But who are our donors? Everybody has the opportunity to be invited into generosity. Okay. All right. So now, what do our donors support? Oh, this was an interesting chapter. The average organization is going to be contributing between five to seven charities, and many times they're within the same cause area. So somebody's really interested in food sustainability, they're probably not donating to higher ed unless there's a you know relationship there right and so this is why it's important to build connections and relationships with your donors beyond the transactional we need to move away from situational giving to identity-based giving because it's going to activate that internal sense of generosity like i am a good person because i care about your mission insert tie it back to who they are so sure. that's generally what we found when it came to the what Giving USA is a really good benchmark against that, but what's really fascinating is that they don't index against revenue size of nonprofits. So there's a lot more that we have to unpack about the size of organizations and where the money's going as well. So this opens up more questions, in fact. So it's the first of much more research that we <laughs> want to do. We're talking to Tim Serantonio from Neon One about an amazing piece of research, donors understanding the future of individual giving. And as I said before, we'll tell you how you can get your hands on a copy of this and, and read it for yourself in just a few. Right now we're going through the who, what, when, where, why, how, and we're up to when do our donors give. Uh, it, and this is fighting for one of the top spots of my favorite chapters, the when chapter. I got obsessed with time and not just because of the time that people spend fundraising in their operations, but when do donors actually want to give? And so key piece of actionable information here was we looked at online giving. You can look at offline giving like checks, but every fundraiser knows you might not be entering the checks the day that you got them, right? Mm -hmm. So online giving, you know exactly when the donor is actually giving. To the minute. To the minute. Yep. And so we aggregated that and we actually looked at when is when are people most likely to be giving online central time 1130 on a Thursday but typically even during the week it was going to be some sort of like late morning early afternoon during the work week. Why do you think that is? 
I mean, it's an odd time, especially you figure 1130, I'm at work right now. A lot of people are phasing out probably at their work day. They're thinking about lunch. I mean, we actually pattern it across e-commerce trends that happened during the pandemic. Another data set, same time, same time period. Mm -hmm. And then even the spike that we saw that happened late at night, the 8 p.m. spike, same time for the actual e-commerce side too. Very interesting. I had a theory, Joe. The theory was Sunday nights, big sporting events, big cultural events, people drinking a little bit more. Yeah. Let's open up our wallets because yeah. we're opening up our gullets. And and did it work? Absolutely not. Not uh. worn out. <laughs> not did not did not bear out. Wow. Um, but yeah, so that was a fun that was a fun thing. But there's also like December giving. Here's another actionable thing. We actually found through the fundraising effectiveness project that donors who give into November and December have a significantly higher retention rate as a first-time donor than people give in January through October. That's amazing. So if you are overwhelmed, focus on that end-of-the-year engagement, and you're likely to see that person come back around 11 to 13 months later. Really? Yeah. This is great. I told you folks, this is going to be- you Gotta be actionable. Amazing stuff. We're so talking fun. with Tim Serantonio from Neon One about this amazing report they did all about donors and individual giving. We're gonna take a short break, we'll be right back. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. Stay with us. Major gifts are the ultimate source of funding for nonprofits. They can help fulfill your mission and achieve your vision. Having a strong major gifts program should be a priority, but where do you begin? The best place to start is with Sukup Strategic Solutions. We create transformational change by working collaboratively to raise funds. Our fundraising consultants will assess your organization's fundraising capacity and develop a plan that serves as a blueprint for your fundraising success. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation today. That's S-O-U-K-U-P, SukupStrategicSolutions.com. When it comes to major gifts, the effort you put in can make all the difference, and Sukup Strategic Solutions can help. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner, talking to Tim Serantonio from Neon One about this amazing research project, research publication. I mean, call it what you will, it is going to blow your mind. It's called Donors understanding the future of individual giving. And as we've been talking, Tim went through the who, what, when, where, why, and how about donors. And right now we're headed off to the where. Where are our donors? Where, where are you finding them? Are they, are they rural? Are they city? What, what did you find, Tim? So we answered the where question in two ways. Geography, for sure. Mm -hmm. But then we also answered it through communication channel and engagement channel. And so the, the geography one I'm obsessed with um, I don't think we do enough geocultural analysis when it comes to this. Yes, very interesting trends, especially mm -hmm. with the pandemic influencing people moving yes. from urban areas to rural areas. Very they have point. access. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to see that bear out. But we were able to drill in and create resources on every single state. So we're in Florida for Planet Philanthropy. One of the special things that we did was actually create a dedicated resource for Florida for this conference that people will get, where it's like, hey, look, 3% of Floridians are donating online recurring, right? Like stuff like that. 56% mm -hmm. of them are volunteering, according to some of the data that the, the local state association put out, right? So again, we wanna get the best data. It doesn't stop with the report. 
so we can get down to geography. So I was just on the phone with my team. We actually want to expand that to all 50 states. Right. So we have infographs and, and little neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor campaign worksheets for everything. So that's for the sequel, in other words. That's for the sequel. We like We're not that. stopping there. Very good. But yeah, we found that geography was really interesting. People are tending to support multiple organizations during the giving day, but it has a 60% new donor acquisition rate very high but the cost is much lower because the foundation's doing it on your behalf but mm. everybody's doing it locally so there's a lot of local giving happening lily school put out some really great research through giving usa too on donor advised funds more likely than not through a community foundation being distributed locally so people like to give locally but the where question is also by channel how do people want to give a lot of times donors are going to get a direct mail piece. They might look at the QR code that you put on there, forgot about it, then go back, get an ad on something on Facebook or see somebody post about you, then go to the website, donate. You don't remember or know that it came from the direct mail piece. Yeah, yeah. So attribution is the next phase because everything with donor behavior that we're even talking about in this report, it's only 50% complete. Mm. Everything there is basically lagging behavior because it's after the transaction right, right. the next realm the next world that fundraisers need to pay attention to is all the leading behavior all the reasons that somebody found you and fell in love with yeah. you and so we're working on it that's another research project <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good oh, that is good teaser teaser let i got me, email coming up next let so. me let me move on to yes. what i think now personally i would think the why Mm -hmm. would be one of the easier questions. Why do people give? It's actually one of the hardest chapters to really? write. Really? Yes. Okay. Because, again, we stopped the report in its tracks on all transactional discussion. Because I explicitly state, every report that you tend to read in the sector starts lauding the transactions, and that's the wrong focus. We are looking at the wrong objective here. The why chapter needs every fundraiser to step back and every single question that they need to ask themselves in their tactics and strategy, their vision, their passion, what they do is one simple question. Mm -hmm. Am I looking at the person or am I looking at their money? And if you are looking at their money, you are wrong. You are wrong. And that is the why. Uh, it's an interesting chapter. It's an important chapter for people to read. Right. It's also actually, Joe, the most difficult question to answer for people sometimes. Excellent. So that's called, in the business, they call that a teaser. So you yes. have to get the book. You that have kind of to thing. get the book. <laughs> you have to download the report. So how do people give? How people give is in a wide variety of ways. People like to give how it's easiest for them mm -hmm. and how it's natural for them. So generationally, for instance, we are starting to see, of course, the the millennials of the world and the Zoomers and any other you know acronym we want to throw around, there's a shift toward digital, but we still have to remind ourselves that that's still only about 20% of gifts. Blackboard, I think, pegged it at 13 in their data set. Right. You know, uh, it, it changes all the time, but a lot of people still write checks. Mm -hmm. so you go to the map resource we put online, you click on your state, you're not going to see any state where the highest amount is online giving. Yeah. It's still significant, but how people give generally comes down to cutting down on the friction. So for many, for instance, online donations, how many clicks does it take to get even to your donation page? 
You go to the great website. Point. That is a great point. It's like the licks on the, the Tootsie Roll, right? Like right. the Tootsie Pop. So the more friction you place, the higher likelihood somebody's going to bounce off. And that still goes for direct mail, right? Like, is it easy for me to understand the remittance envelope? People don't understand the elegance of direct mail. And every piece has a role to play, and especially with QR codes. Yeah. But that's how we need to, to step back and go, again, our donors are not our donors, and our preferred processing capabilities are not how they want to do things. Yeah, yeah. So, and one interesting note is there's a lot of stuff I couldn't answer within my data, so I turned to experts on a few specific areas. Fair enough. Cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. legacy giving, stock giving, Facebook giving. We turned to our partner network and said, you're the subject matter expert. Meta, what's happening? Yeah. You give us whatever you're allowed to give us. Right. They were, but same with stock, same with legacy giving. We turned to somebody who was a donor advised fund expert, worked with you know high net worth and individuals, all this type of stuff. So, so how is an interesting one? It's a very meaty one, but really, if you're going to remember one primary thing on how people give, it's that they're going to give how they prefer to give. Mm -hmm. So invest in the experience of giving itself across good, the board. Good point. Good point. So in all of this data, all of this, and, and as I said, it's exhaustive. It's amazing, amazing work. In all of that, what was one finding? And I know this is really putting you on the spot. Yeah. One finding that just, just blew your mind that you didn't expect. Um, Wow, okay, that's a good one. So Francesco Ambergetti, he works for UNICEF and he wrote a great book, Hooked on a Feeling. He talked about the fact that donors many times don't even remember giving to you. And you're gonna get that and they might say, they might say they unsubscribe for your email and they say, I never signed up for this or I never gave to you. Mm -hmm. You're gonna go, I have the data. It shows you that you gave in 2017, yeah. $15 to me. How do you not remember that? And that's the thing, that people's minds are fluid. We can only hold so much information at one time. And so to kind of get the psychological merged with the transactional reality there was really powerful. And that's why we see donor retention for new donors at 19% mm. according to Fundraising Effectiveness Project. So yeah. like, there's stuff that I knew, and Joe, the biggest thing was validating what we call truths in our industry, long-held truths. Mm -hmm. I always remember Steve McLaughlin in Data-Driven Nonprofit from Blackboard, and he starts off by saying, I found this data point, I want to get to the source of where this is actually, like, the truth of it. Sure. And that helped drive me to be like, I want to get to the root of what's actually happening here. Yeah. And, and so... The, that's what really was surprising to me is we need more data actually but tim you can't handle the truth i know okay there you go <laughs> there we go now tim the luxury of being here at planet philanthropy is we've kind of yeah. developed a little studio audience per se i know this is fun. and uh cheryl sukup who's the president of sukup strategic solutions mm -hmm. is listening to us and she had a question cheryl so thank you, Tim, so much for being on our podcast. Uh, it, this is just fascinating, and I cannot wait to read this full report. But in the meantime, one thing that I'm so curious about is how did you get started in doing this? I mean, what an amazing thing. It's a gift to the nonprofit sector. Yeah. What made you want to do this, and how did you get started? Then once you were started, 
how did it snowball into this? Into that. Uh, so I've been working for and with nonprofits for a long time now. I got my start in 2008. I thought I was going to be a labor historian. So this is where kind of the academic element of the report came in. Mm -hmm. I was drowning in debt and got rejected from every PhD program in history that I had applied to in the Midwest. And my dad flew to Chicago and said, you need to get a job <laughs> and a real job. Mm -hmm. And so I applied for a grant writing position for a day labor center in the south side of Chicago. Got it. 2008. Great time for grants. Terrible time. So I had to pivot to individual giving immediately. And it was just a bad job, like $89,000 for two staff members, all like overhead included, just not a good time. Um, the board sued each other. It was a disaster. But I loved what it represented. And then I worked for an organization that I fell in love with called the Arts of Life out of Chicago, art studio for adults with developmental disabilities. Love it. And I was a bad fundraiser. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought it was like all events. I like sold them on doing a chili cook-off. They still do the chili cook-off, but like I was not good. And I got fired, rightfully so. Oh, no. I still donate to them. Then I failed upwards, got a job as a Razor's Ed administrator for Blackboard's 11th client, and just got the training that I needed. And I like raised millions of dollars through the annual fund. And as a 20-year-old dude living in Chicago, that got boring. I found another thing. This job opened up at a CRM company. I was their seventh employee, and they had 300 people using the software, and it just took off from there. Um, and where I got into the data was just actually through fundraising effectiveness and just falling in love, but seeing that small nonprofits kept getting left behind, that the big data sets, the Blackboard Giving Index stuff, it was like, gets $40 billion, but you have the largest nonprofits there. Where's the little guys? Where's the little ones, right? So so that's what drove me to basically like save myself in the past. You want to even the playing field. I want to even the playing field. That's so great. Thanks so much for answering my question. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Tim, this has been fascinating. If people want to get this, how do they do it? They can go to neonone.com. They can find it under our resources section or they can even go to the free data hub and find it there. It's just in our navigation, but the resources, you can check it there. Or even drop me a line on LinkedIn, you know, Tim Sarantonio, Tim at neon1.com. I'll give it to you. If you don't want to give me Excellent. your email, fine. Just like, <laughs> I'll just send you the PDF. Who Tim, thank you so much for being on Impactability. We appreciate you your time. Having me. Time once again for another edition of Coach's Corner where we take the questions that you ask us and we ask our impact coaches for the answers. And the catch, of course, is they only have five minutes to answer the question. We're still going through some of the questions that we received at Planet Philanthropy 2022, including this one. Hi, what are the first steps a nonprofit should take to launch a planned giving program? So again, what are the first steps a nonprofit should take to launch a planned giving program. Now to answer that question, we've got our impact coach, Dr. Lou Trena. Dr. Trena, this is a good one. On Coach's Corner, you have five minutes to answer the question and your five minutes begins right now. Thank you, Joe. Anything that requires a major initiative or project requires research. 
And I, when I think of research, I think of mixed methods. I think of empirical research and qualitative research. And so I think the first step I would take would be first to research the estate planning community that I'm in. And so I'd be looking at estate attorneys, financial advisors, accountants, and I would find those individuals that are very active in the community, serve on nonprofit organizational boards, individuals that are more inclined to collaborate with their uh, nonprofit counterparts. And once I had that list identified through some wealth engines that we have, and iWave is another good one, to be able to get good information on the kind of charities that these individuals support, I would then select a number of them and call up and actually conduct an interview with them, letting them know that we're looking to start a planned giving initiative, educating them about the nonprofit organization that they represent, talking about the kind of leadership that they have in their nonprofit organization and the kind of leadership they may need, and also talking about would they, is this the kind of organization that they would recommend to their clients or not recommend to their clients? And I think what they'll find is that there are probably a number of individuals that are very open to uh, providing advice for the nonprofit uh, to help them establish the kind of program that could generate future prospects and supporters of the nonprofit and individuals that would have the potential and readiness to actually uh, engage in uh, estate planning or plan giving for the nonprofit. Again, this is the first step. You're looking to build relationships, collaboration with the top plan giving organizations in your community. You're looking to educate them using a qualitative research and interview schedule that will talk about your organization, what the services your organization provides. You're looking to talk to them about the leadership that's required in order to implement a program like this and the kind of potential resources that are out there in the community that can help your nonprofit become successful. I think if you do those things, if you do the research, both the analytics with Wealth Engines and iWave for qualification, and you follow up with a selection from that population of individuals that are leaders in the state planning community and have a conversation with them representing the top issues or themes that your organization needs to have in order to be successful in designing a future plan giving program. In summary, the most important thing a nonprofit can do in planning any major initiative program is to do your homework, to do your research, both empirical research and qualitative field research. This is something I always recommend for the nonprofit. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a campaign. It could be the kind of research you're doing to establish a program that you're looking to design and develop. Dr. Trina, your advice does carry a lot of weight. We thank the person who asked the question at Planet Philanthropy. And of course, thank you, Dr. Trina, for being our impact coach today on Impactability. Thank you, Joe. Always a pleasure. Call me anytime. If you've got a question for Coaches Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.